Welcome back to the Pursuit of Property podcast. I'm Cade Barrett, our other co-host, Scott Farrow. And today our episode is with our team leader and mentor, Jason Pritchard. We've got a really great conversation for you guys today. And hopefully you guys take away some great information that you can implement immediately. And we're excited for you guys to hear it. Jason, thanks for joining us, man. Thank you guys for having me. Cade uh, and I wanted to have you in today to talk about the morality of investing. So we have a lot of people that approach us about um, what we do, and they come from it, not from necessarily a financial aspect, but from a morality aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, and we thought you'd be one of the best people to sit down and talk to us about how you've coached us and groomed us in how to look at it and how we approach our investment business. It's a very interesting topic of conversation. I think it's a pointed one. I think in real estate investing, people get caught up in a lot of the flashy things and the cool things, the money and all the success and you know all of that stuff. But ultimately, we're, we're dealing with a lot of sometimes very volatile situations, right? And uh, you need to be a person that can tread carefully and navigate those waters and make sure you're coming up with a win-win solution uh, that has the best interest of the seller in mind, but that also make business sense for you. And if you can't get there, uh, it's hard to put a deal together. That's fair for everybody. Right. And so I think that's where, that's where your compass has to be pointed at initially to start off off. And you can keep it in that direction. You'll be good. Perfect. Before we jump too much into that, do you want to give us a background? Uh, tell the listeners kind of how you got into real estate investing and uh, just start with kind of an origin story. Sure. Yeah, I'll give you the condensed version. So I worked in corporate America for 15 years. So all through college and after I graduated college, I spent my time at two different companies. It was basically doing sales and sales management. I excelled in those areas, but I got burned out at both places relatively quickly. And I went through a seven or eight year cycle at both companies where I tried to climb the corporate ladder. Uh, I thought that, you know, I was going to, you know, work my way up through management, become senior manager, you know, make multiple six figures and kind of, uh, you know, do the things that we're conditioned to do at a young age. And uh, after the second uh, stint at the second company that I was at, I reached this transitionary point in my life where I knew that I wanted to do something else. My heart wasn't in what I was doing. I was frankly, I was very miserable at the at the place that I was at. And I just came to this realization that if I didn't do something at that moment, I didn't feel like I was ever realistically going to be able to give myself a chance. And I Mm. I don't know why it was real estate, but it was always something that that piqued an interest uh, in me. Even when I was young, I was constantly reading self-improvement books. I read books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And uh, those things always got the wheels kind of cranking for me, man. And, uh, you know, I was very fortunate. I had a lot of support from my friends and family at that time. And I just dove in head first, man. I quit my job. I was all in in real estate. That was late 2014, early 2015, and I was completely self-taught. I just learned by you know listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and a lot of networking and a lot taking a lot of action, not being afraid to to take action and uh, fail forward. And I did a lot of that at the beginning, and you know we've just kind of progressed and grown. And uh, you know six years later, I'm I'm really proud of all the things that we've accomplished. You should be. Yeah, yeah you've done yeah. a lot. Yeah. yeah. Well, Jason, going back to, you mentioned a phrase right at the beginning and you said win-win situation. And I know another uh, similar phrase you use is mutually beneficial solution, right? I think Scott and I have heard that hundreds and hundreds Mm -hmm. and hundreds of times. times. (laughs) So 
do you mind diving in a little bit to you know the meaning behind that and you know when you're speaking with a seller how you always keep that in mind yeah so what we like to lead with number one is the first thing and the most important thing I believe is building rapport with the seller, right? And we, we talk about that a lot when we're, when we're coaching you guys and we're training you guys and we're, we're going out on appointments. I think one of the most important things is to build rapport and in an authentic way, not in an inauthentic way where you're trying to like leverage something that you don't have a mutual interest in, right? But if there is a sincere mutual interest that you have that you also have found out that the seller has, you know, trying to build rapport to get them to like you and trust you enough before you can even start talking about doing something as important as buying their house from them, right? That's such a big financial transaction for your average person that if if they don't like you, and especially if they don't trust you, it's very, very unlikely that you're gonna be able to put a deal together that makes sense, right? So I think it's rapport building first and then leading with your intention is the most important thing and being open and honest and transparent. You hear me say that all the time. We believe in being transparent and we never try to hide the fact that we would be buying the property for investment purposes. And because it's an investment, it's something where financially the numbers have to make sense and we're looking to make a return on the investment that we're putting into the property. And we don't hide that and we're not embarrassed about that and we don't think that there's anything wrong with that, right? But that being said, Mr. or Mrs. Seller, we also understand that based off of the condition of the house and all the other circumstances that we've just talked about, we get that you wanna make as much money as you possibly can too from the sale, considering all the things that we discussed that are kind of going wrong right now, right? Now, if you and I can get to a mutually beneficial solution or a win-win solution or something where we can both walk away from the table feeling like, hey, I'm happy with the price and terms that Jason gave me and I'm happy with the number that I'm getting it at from a business standpoint, this is gonna be the easiest house that you ever sell and here's why, right? Right. And we've gotta get there first and if, you know, you are unwilling to come down on a price because of, you know, whatever reasons and I can't buy it at a number that makes sense, it's not gonna be a win-win, right? It's gonna be mm -hmm. a win for you, but then I'd be losing, right? And if I try yeah. to come in and swoop the house up from underneath you for pennies on the dollar and not give you a fair offer, that's not a win for you, right, Mr. Seller? So, you know, we've gotta come to a mutual agreement there. Mm -hmm. And I think if you lead with that, it's hard to get off track, right? You've yeah, got right. you to do work to get it off track if you start from there. Right. One of the other benefits is you look at it as a business, right? And so you feed your family, you're 100% investment-based. And when you go and you talk to a seller, there's no emotion in the business aspect of it. You're looking at the numbers, you've run the numbers, you know, based off of your experience, the risk and reward. Mm -hmm. And it would be a lie to say that we don't get compensated fairly for what we do. Yeah. Um, some people look at it that we maybe make more than we should. Um, I've generally been able to explain it as the general, the general fact that there's risk involved in every transaction that we do. And the reason why we get compensated is to help with the risk. It's a numbers game. It, there will be a bad apple. Yeah. Um, but you also, the, one of the things that you've always told us is we've always gone in and just told them that. Just like you just said, you always go in and you say, this is uh, got to be a win-win. And if the numbers make sense, then we'll move forward and go on. But the other thing is you also say, if it doesn't make sense, no hard feelings, right? Mm -hmm. And let me, it, if it doesn't make sense, not only are there no hard feelings, but I guarantee you that you're going to feel better about what your potential plan B or C is going to be after talking to me. And if I can help you, you know, facilitate one of those other options, then great. If not, you're going to, you're going to feel better coming out of that conversation yeah. because at least you'll have a game plan. And another great thing to share is that I think you're one of the people that is best for a seller. I think if I'm a distressed seller, I want to meet with Jason Pritchard. And yeah. here's why. Because 
if you come to me with an offer and the offer doesn't make sense with what you offered me, I have found that, and I've seen it firsthand, you're the person that is first to refer you to somebody else who might have another option. And I've seen that with you giving other people deals. I've seen you give sellers all of the needs that they need to solve the problem. And I've also seen you completely move on and make zero profit. And you know that by doing a good deed, you're not losing anything. Yeah, it always gets paid back. And I do think you brought up a good point earlier regarding the amount of risk that the investor takes. And I think one thing that people don't take into account is that every single person that's involved in the transaction gets paid their money first before the investor does. Right. right? And so let's unpack that, right? So right off the top, the seller, the person that sells the house is the first person to walk away with the money, right? Mm -hmm. So they get paid, right? And then there's so many people that have their fingerprints on a deal that an investor brings to the table and all of those people are getting paid, right? So just right off the top of my head, you've got the escrow officer that's facilitating the transaction. You've got the contractor and all the subcontractors that are Mm -hmm. doing the work and getting paid regardless whether the house sells or not, right? You've got the insurance agent, you've got the cleaning lady, you've got the yard guy, you've got the real estate agent, you've got the photographer that goes and takes the pictures, you've got the handyman that comes and does all the work, you've got the pest company, you've got the home inspector, everybody is guaranteed payment except for the investor, right? Mm -hmm. So not only are they taking like all the risk, right? Like the, uh, the majority of the risk are taking pretty much all of it, right? Mm-hmm. And they have to wait to get the, the their their portion of the pie. And so I believe that it's fair for them to get the lion's share of the profit yeah. at the end. That's and just you, how I think. Yeah, and you also, as the investor, you manage all of the thousands of details of actually flipping a home. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might not be managing the subcontractors. You might not be managing the real estate agents independent tasks, but ultimately, you're coordinating the skill set of a whole bunch of different people in helping a specific task get done. So yeah, I 100% agree. And especially in a lot of your deals too, when you are being trusted with other people's money in order to fund the deal too, I think that's a big part. Yeah, the lender was somebody that I didn't mention, but you know, we, we leverage pretty much all funds from private lenders. That's where we raise our money to do our deals. And, uh, it's something that I take very, very serious. Like for me, I would. I have never been in a position where I've never paid my lender back in full, even on money uh, on deals where I've lost money. And you know, like, I don't. I haven't lost money in a lot of deals, but I have had a few deals where I've lost significant amount of money, and I never went back to my lender and said, "Oh, hey, you know what? I took a thirty thousand dollar loss on this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, can we renegotiate the interest that you got paid?" Right. I just took my medicine and went yeah. on with about my day because right. I know that I'm going to need to work with them in the future mm-hmm. in order to do that and renegotiating. You know deals that you made with somebody because the deal didn't work out for you is not the best way to facilitate that. Yeah. I think a good example too, um, of all the things that, you know, we've kind of been talking about, you know, going in and being open and honest with the seller and building rapport and stuff like that is, you know, what you Bailey and I have been throwing up on our social media in the trip we took out to Kalinga. I don't know if you want to touch on that just a little bit in order to provide like a you know, real life example of all the stuff that you're talking about. Yeah. And I think what we like to do is take more of a consultative approach. And that's why I like that we have the option to either buy the house directly from the seller or help them sell the house or come up with a creative solution that's somewhere in between those two options. Right. Yeah. And in that particular situation, I think as a real estate professional, especially as you do more and more transactions, I think nine out of 10 times based off of talking to the seller, assessing their situation, looking at the property, more often than not, we already know what the right solution is, right? But where I think people get sideways is 
they try to force them down one path or another, depending on, you know, what type of tools they have in the toolbox to do the job. Right. And so some people can't make an option to sell the house and they just try to force them down. Like, let me buy it for you for a big discount. Right. Mm -hmm. And that may not be the right thing. Right. And so the Kalinga thing that you brought up, it was a situation where for a lot of different reasons, just based off of the condition of the property. And we don't need to get in the too far in the weeds with, you know, the condition, but it was in bad shape. The seller lived out of the area. They lived out of state, actually, right? She was an older seller. And yeah. just for a lot of different reasons, it didn't really make sense. And she didn't want us to help list it on the open market. Yeah. She was looking for a quick, easy, convenient transaction and somebody that was willing to pay her a fair price considering right. the condition of the property and all the other surrounding circumstances, right? And when you lead with that, it makes it very easy because it's a non-pressure situation when you're having this talk. Mm -hmm. So that's what I like about doing that because we've all been in environments where we've dealt with salespeople where their only tactic is they just put the screws to you. You know what I mean? And that's the only way that they can get to where they want to go is just by sheer force. And nobody likes that. Nobody likes to go to a car lot and get like hammered by the car salesman. You know what I mean? And I think like, yes. (laughs) So I think a true sales professional not a salesperson but a true sales professional is a master at effective communication and can make a a seller or a prospect or a leader whatever you want to call it you can make them you can see all the options know what the best option is for them present the options in a way where the seller is making the decision but they're guided in a way that isn't manipulative it's based off of what's best for them right i'm the professional in this situation and that's what we forget sometimes. When we go in, we've done hundreds and hundreds of transactions. I've done hundreds of transactions. Right. And so I've been involved in so many of these deals. We need to be the one that's kind of quarterbacking this 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 deal right here, right? Yeah. And the sellers are coming to us because they need a resource and they need somebody that's going to come in and take charge. But you need to do it in a way where you're guiding them and consulting them, right? And you're doing it in a way that's keeping their best, best interests in mind considering everything that's happening. One of the phrases that Brian McCurry, who's been on the podcast, uses is guide, lead, and protect. And I really like that. Yeah, because nice. how how what we do is exactly that. We guide them in understanding what their options are. We let them pick that option. Then we lead them through the actual path of getting that done. And the whole time we're trying to protect them from any outside issues that could prop up. What if this happens? Or what if that happens? And it helps because like you just said, as a professional, we see it on a daily basis. In the same way you go to a doctor when you have a problem. You want to talk to a real estate consultant when it comes to the time when you have a problem with your yep. real estate portfolio. That's interesting. Um, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is right at the start, you started by saying a lot of people get in the business because the flashy things, the money, the lifestyle, kind of like uh, the clout. Yeah. Um, you're a pretty humble dude. You, you pretty much have stayed the same since when you started as far as I can see. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. I mean, like, from a moral level, what are you doing on a daily basis to, or even a weekly basis and a yearly basis to help keep yourself in check and making sure that you're coming from the right place? I think for me, I've, I'm, I'm at a point in my life, I just turned 39 and I've dealt with a lot of adversity in my life. And there was um, a lot of adversity that I experienced in my personal life prior to getting into real estate. Mm-hmm. And I think it's dealing with the difficult times and learning when you know, the chips are all the way down and you've kind of hit rock bottom. If you can find it within yourself to dig yourself out of that hole and come out of it and become a better person and take those lessons and learn and actually apply them. Um, to me, I think that's really the biggest thing, right? And so I think for guys like you that are maybe a little bit younger and maybe haven't dealt with those life experiences, mm-hmm. you've got to, 
you've got to tap into people like me that have done it and use our guidance and our mentorship as kind of a guiding light. So when we see you kind of steering off path, it's the only reason why we give you correction is because we know where that path goes, right? You know, and so we know like, hey, sometimes you got to learn the hard way and that's part of it too. But then everything doesn't, we always say it doesn't always have to be hard, right? And sometimes we can learn the easy way. And we can just learn from somebody that's been there and done that, man. And I'm a very big believer in not reinventing the wheel and just modeling successful behavior from people that are operating and performing at a world-class level. And I think if you can just do those habits, implement structure in your life, find a daily routine and start your day and end your day with structure and habits that keep Mm -hmm. you focused and intentional on what your goals are, it's much more likely that you're going to get to the path that you want to go down. Yeah. That's good stuff. Um, I know... And going back to what we were talking about before, you used a phrase that I think is a really big takeaway for everybody listening to is taking like a consultive approach, mm-hmm. not a sales approach. Yeah. Um, and I just think that's really big, especially when you're talking with potential sellers who may or may not, you know, have emotional attachments to the property are going through, you know, personal stuff uh, in their own lives. And I think how do you keep and implement that consultive approach especially when you know that this is how you're feeding your family you know and not get too salesy how do you not get sucked into the money yeah so the the hard part at the beginning is that uh and you guys are kind of at different stages which is interesting like Cade, you're kind of just starting out scott you've recently found some some success and and Mm -hmm. you're building your momentum very quickly and i think the way that you're able to come from a consultative approach and an aspect where it's not about the money or about having to close the deal or whatever is number one, you get your business to the point where it's predictable enough where whether you buy the house or not is irrelevant. You know right. what I mean? That's number one. Yeah. You'll feed your family no yes. matter what. So yeah. that's my, like whether I go into an appointment and I buy this house is to me completely and totally irrelevant because I'm going to buy four or five houses this month regardless because yeah. my business has been established and it's at a point now where I've got years of a track record that I know and that I'm confident that that's going to happen. So I'm not projecting desperation. I'm not projecting fear or uncertainty when I go there. One of the things we always talk about is projecting confidence. You always have to project confidence and sellers are looking for that. So if they go and they realize like Jason isn't talking to me with commission breath, that's what they call it in our business, right? Like they get like, you're just projecting desperation that you have to do the deal. And that's very difficult at the beginning because at the beginning you're not doing a lot of deals and it's natural to, when you get that appointment, and you go out there like you're like, okay, we got to make this happen because I just made a thousand phone calls and I wasn't able to set an appointment and I finally got this one and we've got to get, you know, sometimes people take a square peg and they try to put it in the round hole, yeah, especially if they right. try to force deals. And what I like about real estate is it's very simple. If you follow a formula and if the deal doesn't match this formula, then you disqualify it and it's very easy. And mm-hmm. you, you don't necessarily just leave it and never come back to it, but it's just the timing isn't right right there in that moment, right? And I've just, it, it's putting your place there mentally if you haven't had the experience, but a lot of it comes with experience and a lot of it just comes in believing and trusting in the process and knowing that it's not about the outcome. Whether I get a contract signed or not is irrelevant. The important thing is that I was struggling with my calls and getting appointments. Now I'm going on more appointments. I'm happy with the fact that I'm going on more appointments. And as long as I go and I make more offers, I'll eventually get an offer accepted. Yeah. Right. And so that's how you, that's how you deal with that at the beginning until you get to the point where 
you've actually seen the results and that's you don't have to operate on faith anymore you can operate off actual tangible like you know you've done it it's been there you've done that i'll speak to that so jay can we talk about when when you first met me Mm -hmm. i had no background in real estate and you guys pretty much coached me from the ground up and one of the big things that you and i talked about that was stopping me. I was setting a lot of appointments mm-hmm. at the start. I was calling a lot. I was doing good on the phone, getting the appointment. Now I wasn't converting. Uh, one of the things that we talked about was that I had that exact thing. I felt that every appointment I went on, I needed to close. Yeah. And it pushed people away. Yeah. Um, now that I've let that go a lot, you know, and now that I've found some success and I've gotten to the point where I trust that if this doesn't happen, I'm still going to have three closings this month. Yeah. And I'm not going to have to go live on the street. Yep. And that's a great feeling to have. Um, what was the big thing that you and I have always talked about when it comes to being able to let that go? There was, there was something that I did. I'll give you a hint. Go ahead. It made me work in the evenings. Oh, you got another job. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things we talked about was by getting that second job, I humbled myself yeah. by putting myself in a spot where I knew that I had income. And I think that was the turning point. Yeah. I think it's tricky. And this is a a dynamic that's different for different people. And so that's where you have to be self-aware enough to know what it's going to take to get me to that next level. Right. Mm -hmm. And for you, it was the eliminating the fear and the insecurity of money not coming in by establishing a base income. Yes. A regular income stream that I know that it's reliable and that Mm -hmm. I can count on. Right. And for other people like me, that would have had the opposite effect because if I dealt with so much adversity at the beginning and I was making really good money in my job, right? And so for me, had I had dealt with that adversity and I not experienced some of the things and I had my job that I had, I would have convinced myself just out of complacency that this wasn't for me. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like I tried it. I tried it for Mm -hmm. three months. Like this is not for me. Like it's not going to happen and that's it, right? And so I think you were smart enough to figure out and self-aware enough to figure out this is what I need to do to eliminate this so I don't have to worry about this anymore. And I think everybody is going to be a little bit different, Mm -hmm. right? And I think you can get there by mental practice and just working on mindset and working on coming in with a positive mental attitude and all these things that you you hear about in self-improvement, that really helps and you should do that no matter what. But then it's little tweaks like that. It's just like, hey, let me just go get a job. And yeah. uh, you literally like, you know, I think there was maturity and there's other things, but like you did, you turned a corner. And then the you second I got that job, yeah. if you look back at my closings, the second I got that job, I immediately started producing on a different yeah. level. And I think it's also true that what you just said, I think some people might have also become complacent. And the second I found, okay, you did. I have six months of consistency. You left that job. That I was, left uh, immediately. Yeah. And I and was like, wow, that's pretty impressive. Cause I was, I, I went right back out into the deep end. I saw how fast things shifted for you. And it's interesting to talk about this now, but yeah, it did. You, 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 you took the job and got the job pretty quickly and then you left the job pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, you're very self-aware. Both of you guys are, but I mean, we're talking about you in this instance. I think you're very self-aware for, especially for being as young as you are. And I think that self-awareness is something that will, will only continue to grow and help you guys uh, because you've got to figure out some of the little things, man, you know what I mean? And uh, like for me, I use this example all the time. Here's something for me that I know that I'm that that motivates me when I need a little extra, you know, when I need a little extra motivation is mm-hmm. for whatever reason, I and I'm not saying that this is right or wrong, but like I can get, be a little bit petty when people slight me, you know what I mean? Or I can get a chip on my shoulder when people doubt that I can't do something right. And so like 
I don't know that that's the right thing. And I'm not saying that that's my like number one motivating factor. Yeah. But I know that if I really need to dig deep and kind of get through something, I can you. mentally go to a place where somebody like either to my face has doubted me or like I've it's gotten back to me that, oh, this person said blah, blah, blah. And for whatever reason, like I can find three more gears and just go because it's just that's just how I'm wired, dude, you know. And yeah. so. I, I think everybody has to kind of find out what those little like ha- those are like little hacks that you have internally that you can just I need to push this button and I need to go to another level really quick and just push through these three hours of work mm-hmm. and I can find things like that. And so you guys will have to get better at that stuff, too. And I think mm-hmm. it's all of the work that you do, the 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 morning routines and the reading and the mastermind and the networking and the listening to podcasts and all of that stuff, the cumulative effect of all of that work. That's where, like, that's what you see with me after five years. It's all of these little things, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's it's really cool. Yeah. 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 And you're a big proponent of mindset, right? That's yeah. something you've instilled uh, in all of us, everyone on the team, especially, you know, ever since we first started. Yeah. Right? It's another one of those things that we hear from you What I will say to you guys is it's more important, and nobody on our team invests more time in cultivating the right mindset than I do. And it's more important than even learning about like how to operate and and navigate a real estate transaction. Mm -hmm. Because just being in the office for eight hours a day, you're gonna get the reps on the real estate side, right? So it's good to become a master at your craft. So then if there's like one thing that you really need to work on, that's okay. But the thing that separates successful people from people that are not successful, in my opinion, is whether or not you can keep your head screwed on straight every single day, right? And getting to the point of self-mastery that when something bad happens in your life, you're able to process it in a healthy way and not let it totally derail whatever it is that you're supposed to do that day. And even if you're not really feeling up to it, you still show up when you're supposed to show up. You still make the calls when you're supposed to make the calls. You still do all of the stuff that you're, all the revenue generating activities that we talk about, you still do it whether you wanna do it or not. Mm -hmm. And doing that creates consistency, creating consistency will create longevity in your life and your career. And it also gives you the predictability that you're looking for. So your business isn't constantly, you know, in peaks and valleys and these different, you know, you know, ups and downs, which so many people deal with. Right. And do you think that was probably your biggest mindset change that that has propelled your success? I, I think mean, so. I mean, there's, there's a couple of different things. Yeah. I think that I think the, surrounding myself with people that, you know, were doing what I wanted to do or even better, like we're doing the things that were, would help hold me accountable. Right. I yeah. think it's that thing, but I think, uh, it's just, it's such an important thing to me that, you know, developing it because we don't understand like how bad we've been conditioned for negative thought, negative self-talk, negative programming, all of these things that have, you know, lifetimes of like all these things that have bad habits that we have. And you've really got to go in and rewire your brain in a sense to, to get your mind focused and thinking on the things that are really important. And I know something you've shared with me personally is, is that shift doesn't happen overnight, right? No. It, it's, you know, days and days, years and years, it's months. And, yeah. It's yeah. repetition. And yeah. then it, it's not the analogy you use. It's not a light switch, right? It's not it a light doesn't switch. Go, it's a dimmer switch. It's a dimmer switch. So exactly. you don't just turn the light on and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, now I see the light. Right? Yeah. It's yeah. slowly over years. You kind of, you like kind of gradually like are raising the switch and it starts to become a little bit brighter and a little bit bright. And then five years later, you're like, oh, wow, now, you know, now this is why yeah. you do all this, right? Yeah. And most people are wired for instant gratification, so they can't, they don't have the patience and the and the the mindset to be in it for the actual long haul. 
So they give up too quickly to not be able to like reap all the fruits of you right. know their harvest, right? So, yeah. Question: um, A lot of people read on mindset since we're talking about it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I've read a lot on mindset. I've watched a whole bunch of YouTube and listened to podcasts and all that. Um, but one of the things that I've I've also learned is sometimes I over educate and I don't implement. Enough. Sure. Um, can you just give one? Here's a tip. Good tips. Yes. Okay. So this is what I would say is some people are serial readers and I mean, they just bounce from topic to topic to book to book. And I get people like, what are your favorite books and what is this and that and the other thing. And what I have found has worked for me is instead of like going and jumping all across the board, Hey, now I'm going to read a book on business and then I'm going to read the autobiography on Elon Musk. And then I'm going to read a book on, um, you know, think and grow rich. And then I'm going to read something on real estate investing. And you're like literally bouncing all over the board, right? You've got to pick a topic or maybe topics, small but plural, where you really think that if I can get great at these one or two things, it's going to move the needle for me more so than anything else. And really, instead of like going really wide with what you're reading and what you're listening to, you're just finding one or two niches and you're going really deep with those things. And so for me... One of the things that I really focus on is like literally this is something that for me is very important is like literally retraining the way our subconscious mind works. Because I believe that everything that's everything that we do starts in our subconscious mind and then it's it comes out consciously right Mm -hmm. in our actions and our thoughts. And so it's going back and all the negative programming we have is there. Right. Right. So it's doing things. So I'm reading books on how do you improve those things? How do you create you know, uh, you know, successful and, and intentional thought processes, a positive mental self image, believing that you actually deserve all the success that you want. And that's what some people, they think that they want to make a million dollars a year, but internally they don't believe that they're capable of doing it because they have a negative self image. Right. And no matter what I tell you, no matter how much I sit down with you and coach you, no matter how many appointments we go on, you're never going to overcome that. Never. I believe that. Right. Like you can, you can achieve stuff, but you're never going to get to where you want to go until you fix that. And I think it all starts with us internally. I believe that we create all the opportunities. I believe that it all, everything starts within us first. And, uh, if you can get good at mastering that and then your actions have to map up to all that, your actions have to match everything that you're talking and, and thinking it's inevitable that it'll happen. Maybe not on the time frame that you want it to happen, mm-hmm. but it will happen inevitably as long as you do it consistently. Yeah. Well, hey, man, we really appreciate it. Um, obviously, I think Kate and I are both, without a doubt, extremely grateful for all this, the coaching and the teaching that you've given us. Absolutely. Um, you know, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for sharing everything. Thank Hopefully, you guys for having me. I'm very yeah. proud of you guys. I think this is awesome. Um, I'm, I'm, I hope this is first of many. I like what you guys are doing. I think you guys have a ton of potential. And I think this is a great avenue for you guys and a vehicle for you guys to, to impact people that are you know, that really, uh, I think can relate to you. I think there's a lot, I talk to more and more younger people, guys and girls that are like focused on how to create not just a normal life, but extraordinary lives for themselves. And yeah. they're looking for a vehicle in order to do that. And I think real estate is one of the most viable ones to do it. And I think you guys are in a unique position where you can touch a lot of people with this and anything I can do to help you guys. Let me know. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Thank you guys. Have you on soon again. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning into the Pursuit of Property podcast. Kid and I both are extremely happy to have that conversation with Jason every time we speak with him. 
Uh, we hear the same similar topics, but we always dive deep into something just slightly different. So hopefully you got a lot out of this and hopefully you can start applying this to different aspects in your life, including the real estate investing aspect of your life. Uh, if you have any questions, any comments or concerns, feel free to reach out, leave a comment, leave us uh, any kind of message or feel free to give us a call. We're excited to be learning more and we'll have Jason back on the podcast pretty soon here. Hope you're having a great day. We'll see you soon.